The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. My guest today is Jana Robinson, societal visionary, counterculture poet, film director, retreat leader, workshop lecturer, and truth and development coach. And one of my bright spots this week was actually speaking with my guest. Yana and I became Instagram friends a little over a year ago. I think I first discovered her poetry and I just felt like it really spoke to me. And so I started following her on Instagram and we just sort of commented and messaged back and forth over that time. And I've always loved everything that she shares and the way she thinks. And it's really just been a matter of time on my end to get her on the on the show because I don't know. I've just found everything I've read it from her so valuable and inspirational. And that's definitely something that I would like to pass along to you guys. So getting to connect with her was definitely a highlight for me. And I also have been binge watching the show Servant on Apple TV. And it's creepy, but it is the first show in a very long time that I literally could not stop watching. I had to know what was going to happen and there's still new episodes coming out each week. So if you haven't jumped on that bandwagon yet, I highly recommend it. It's actually one of the shows. I think that Allie and Adrian, who were on my show last week, recommended they were watching it. And that's how I got into it. But oh my God, it's M. Night Shyamalan who created the movie Signs, Sixth Sense. So that's a really good one. And that's been a bright spot, even though it's creepy and kind of depressing at times. I've still just like, I don't know, found excitement in being really excited about a story. So that's been really good. Also, Morgan Wallen put out his new album just recently, and I've been listening to it nonstop. But if you're looking for one choice song from that album, I would recommend Sand in My Boots. I think it's so cute and so fun. But honestly, there's not one song that's not amazing. Also, only thing that's gone with Chris Stapleton, God, he is just the best country singer ever. Between the two of them, it's like, yeah. Also, I've been really proud of myself for sticking to my heavy metal detox because I'm not really a smoothie person, to be honest. I think that's weird. I think people tend to like smoothies, but I just don't. I don't really like cold drinks. But I have pushed myself to have a smoothie every single day with the metal detox ingredients in there. And it's probably because Daily Harvest smoothies are so good. But I don't know. I've just... I'm proud of myself for sticking with it because I feel like usually I'm a little flaky and I just kind of tend to fade out of phases. So, okay, with that said, let's get to this week's episode. How's everything going? How are you doing through COVID? I mean, I also watch everything that you post and share. So I feel like I know kind of how it's going, but how yeah. are you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. I, I feel like, I feel like it's been a long stretch for a lot of people. Like it's been such a good year to really like dive into how we take care of ourselves while the world is kind of like a snow globe and just up in the, the ethers. Yeah, I'm I'm doing good. I feel like as somebody who like holds space for people as a coach and with my program, I'm definitely like a little tired from all the space holding because I feel like people have been on their couches watching Netflix getting government money or like working really hard. It's been one of the two. So I've certainly struggled with feeling like I'm not being productive enough. 
but in a way it's inspired me to do new projects. This podcast was born during COVID and I wrote a TV show, just like anything I can do to be working. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's such an unnatural way to be living right now. But Mm -hmm. I also wonder what it's going to be like when we eventually go back, if it'll ever be the same. Mm -hmm. Life's just so different. Well, I wanted to have you on because I feel like I've really connected with you. I think I found you on Instagram at a a really pivotal moment in my life where I was going through a lot of changes and kind of needing to figure out who I was as a person, as an individual, having, you know, just gotten out of a marriage and been with somebody for years. And I felt like through reading some of your poetry and just watching what you've shared on social media that you inspired me a lot to not be afraid of being real and being me. I think you're so good at being really raw and you really radiate self-love and you just come across so genuine and real. So I I thought it would be great to have my listeners get to know you better. And hopefully I'm sure they'll learn something from our conversation today. So I thought that'd be really cool to have you. Totally. Thanks for having me. And I actually Googled you when you first started to follow me. I was like, who is this Caitlin lady? And I saw that you'd just gotten out of a, a like, I thought you were in the, the middle of that piece. And oh um, yeah, <laughs> I definitely was. And your personality has also like, you're like, you've blossomed and opened in a lot of really beautiful ways. Oh, really? Yeah. Thank you. Do you feel like that? Yeah, I do. I feel like going through a struggle and I feel like hitting rock bottom personally only motivated me to really dig deeper and and learn who I was more as a person. And I think that it sort of takes that. I like to say, or I, I say to my friends or anybody now who's kind of going through a tough time that even though it's the worst feeling in the world to be sad or feel lost or confused, it's only then that you're actually really motivated to work harder to figure out who you are and and you come out so much stronger and better because of it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's been your experience, but... Totally. Yeah, we like, I feel like there's beautiful amount of like dips and valleys and mountains and we often like want to reject when we're in kind of like the swoop and we like want to celebrate we're on the mountain, but it's like, it's all, you flip it around, it's all... I think it's Abraham Hicks who says that we're born into contrast for the purpose of making choices. And I've always liked that too, of like the contrasted challenging moments are what birth us into what is more of who we are. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel like I lived a pretty charmed life until last year. And I I, I feel like it's almost cheesy to say that it's like breakups that were what impacted me the most. But I think that, I don't know, I had a, you know, my family's amazing. I think I grew up with great parents and my life was was always pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't ever really struggled really bad with something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It was such a wake up call to go through something so hard and painful and to, you know, actually have to really figure it out. And I don't know, I spent a ton of time in therapy. I did all the, you know, really anything I could to try to grow. And I think, yeah, it was great, but your work, your, your poetry and just following you on Instagram definitely was, had a part in that. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thanks for the acknowledgement of the pieces. And that's totally one of the hopes of my work. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to hear that that supported in some sort of the way. Yeah. And I can imagine that you probably get that kind of feedback from people a lot and I must feel good. I think it's, it seems like it would be really fulfilling to be able to share something and about yourself and have that in any way have an impact on other people's lives. Totally. Yeah. I'm like the queen expressionist in some ways. <laughs> yeah. And your 
book, This Is For The Women Who Don't Give a Fuck. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what led, what was the inspiration behind that? Where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, so this is for the women who don't give a fuck. I wrote that poem probably, the title of the book is a poem that I wrote and I wrote it probably mm-hmm. six years ago and it had like millions of views and people loved it and they kept loving it. And it kind of felt like it just grew feet and just took off and started running, actually made it into a film in New York City in like 2015 or 16, where I just put on my Instagram, I was like, New York City, I need some women who don't give a fuck. And like, (laughs) (laughs) all these women showed up. And so they weren't actors or anything. They just chose lines that they loved and that empowered them and that were kind of relevant to where they were. And some women were getting out of divorces. Some women were going through career change. Someone was realizing she was gay. There was like a whole, and it was really cool. I did kind of what they call like screening, I think. And I learned how to produce and direct a film and yeah, made a film, wow. film did well. And then like a short, like a little mini, it got, went to a festival. And, and then when I was thinking about what naming I wanted to name my first book. I learned to write poetry largely through Bukowski. And so I was also, I loved that he named titles of his books after poems. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I've got great titles of poems. Like all of these can be books. So (laughs) that's a good one. I mean, it definitely is really, it definitely really stands out (laughs) when you read it. Cause that's not necessarily something you expect you're going to be reading in a poem. Mm -mm. (laughs) There's a level of shock value there that on my level, I'm like, this is kind of cheap. And I'm like, oh, people need to be shocked. So it's a combination of both. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, was that scary for you? Cause that's a big statement. When I think of you, that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's kind of shocking, but great. I literally will have people walk up to me and be like, are you the woman who doesn't give a fuck? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just in the street. And I'll be like, I do. Yes. But like, I give a lot of fucks. I give so many yeah. fucks. So it feels like a misrepresentation because I have empathy and compassion. But yes and no, like I like it. I like shit kicking a little bit and like seeing people react a little bit. It was hard I'm really, really grateful that Thought Catalog, who published my first book, they actually approached me and were like, hey, like we want to work with you. And they were down for like all of me. But a lot of the times in traditional publishing, it's a no. So I submitted that manuscript to like Knopf and a bunch of other publishers. And a lot of them said no. And I would literally be like talking with an agent and I would send them my little PDF of my book. And they would, one of them just like ghosted me. And he worked with like three of my friend's books. So I wrote him an email being like, Hey, did you get my script? He was like, we are not a fit. And I was like, okay. So I got like lots of strong reactions. And I think that it's so important that women take up space. And it's been a huge theme in my journey as well as like learning to take up space as a woman with my voice and many, many ways. And so I chose to not star the word fuck, which had repercussions as well, because it can't be in as many places. But I was like, I'm not going to star the word fuck in a book that's basically telling women to not conform because that they feels don't like, give a fuck. I'm like, yeah. now we're conforming because <laughs> we're starring the word fuck and I don't want to. Yeah. But yeah. And my next book is called There's Cobwebs on Her Vagina and it's hot pink and it's coming out. So one even more racy. I was going to ask you if you're working on something now. That's a good one. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a poem that I titled as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that to your point, it's if you're going to name the book that, and that's, that's your poem, then you got to be doing it. Right. So you have to, but I can also imagine that in this day and age, I mean, I know some, obviously there are so many wonderful men in the world, so it's certainly not, I certainly don't feel anti-men in any way, but I can imagine that that in the wrong hands, like a publisher who just is totally not, 
thinking that progressively or yeah, I can see how that would be. It is, it is. But one of the things that I, I return to is like one of my personal great truths over and over is that I really believe as artists, we, and even as humans, I'm going to put it in the context of art, but you could apply it in different ways that like our job is 50%. And what I mean by that is every time I create anything where it's a whether it's like a post or a film or I'm starting to make some courses and pieces, I literally create as if like I'm on the moon and no one will ever read it. Mm -hmm. There's an authenticity and a vein of like vulnerability and truth that I pour in and make sure that I'm really proud and feel an integrity with what I'm creating. But the second that we hit publish or send or send a manuscript or a book goes live, our job is done because the other 50% of art is the world. And that's people's job is like how they experience something that you've created. And largely we're experiencing the world through our lens. We're projecting our stuff. The point of things that I may have as an artist is often misconstrued in that, like in that process, like that happens and you have to let it go. And I think a lot of artists Mm -hmm. go into suffering because they want to control that 50%. They want a book or a poem or whatever it is to do well. And you kind of just have to let go and like, let the world have it. I always like really check in and go like, do I feel good about the title of this book? Or do I feel good about this piece? And if it feels good in my body and if it feels like I'm doing it for the right reasons, which is to be in service to that, which I believe I'm here for. Um, And if I Mm -hmm. align in that way, that's the biggest piece of integrity that we have is does it feel good for me? And like, are we what I believe we all have a why that we're here to fulfill in this life. And if it aligns with that why, then it's great. Well, I think that's actually really good advice for anything that you're doing in life, because I know I personally have done things. I've put things out there when I, if I look back and I think about it, I think that definitely wasn't, maybe I was feeling bitter about something or maybe I, you know, there, there wasn't necessarily the greatest intention behind it, or I don't know, it doesn't stand the test of time for me. Like I look back and I think, why did what was I doing? Or why did I say that? And and I think it's really good to check in with yourself, like you said, and make sure that whatever it is you're doing, you're you're doing for a, a good purpose and to in some way benefit other people. Or I don't know, there's gotta be like a reason behind it other than you're feeling angry at somebody or you wanna try to look hot for this for you know, whatever, whatever the case is. Cause I I was gonna ask you that if there's ever anything because in a way, social media is so nice because you get to control a lot of that narrative then because you're actually directly sharing whatever mm-hmm. it is you want to put out there. But are there times that you share something and then you you decide that you kind of wish you didn't do that? Totally. Yeah. Really? Well, there's a, I think there's a dance with sharing. You know, I've had like, I share slabs of my heart with this world for a living. It's been a, a theme. I don't think my Instagram bio has changed in like six years. <laughs> um, with that, there's been a journey because I've absolutely posted or shared from a space of immaturity or wanting to like punch a guy in the face with a poem, you know, like I've done that. And uh, (laughs) the journey with like, when is it appropriate to share? When are we ready to share? I think it's incredibly important. And Brene Brown talks a lot about this as well, that we have processed something and we're not in that raw stage of still processing it before we share it. Because I mean, there are some things that are sacred to me that will never be online. Like, although I'm vulnerable and open, it's like, there are poems I will never publish. There are things that will never go on social media. And I think that 
it's important to know the things that are sacred and private to us and to be able, that's one step of like, I hold that in my heart. And then the second piece is I think that we really need to be through our process. And so one of the first things I ever wrote that gained a lot of momentum and I think really helped me define my why and why I show up and be raw was an article I wrote about having an abortion. And it came out of me and it was probably the most honest thing I'd written. And it was the first real thing I wrote. And it scared the Jesus out of me. Like it was, it was freaky how honest it was. And I sat with it for several months before I even came back to it because I was like, why, you know, this is, I don't want to share this to like bash the boyfriend who didn't show up. And I don't want to share this for attention. And I really wanted to be clear and in integrity with why I was sharing it. And so I think taking that time is really important. And because we're living in, you know, because Instagram is such an insta gratification space too. I think a lot of people don't always do that check-in of like, am I like complete in my process and at peace with my choice and in a place of security and stability and safety within this piece of processing this thing in my life before I bring it into the public eye. And Mm -hmm. that's a really important discerning thing. And also timing doesn't really matter. We think we're like, I'm experiencing this now. It needs to be shared now. No, it doesn't. That's what it feels like. (laughs) Totally. You're like, I got to get it out. I got to get it out. (laughs) Everyone needs to know about it. (laughs) And that's, I think, a negative way we're using social media is to almost process with other people when we're not resolved in something. And so, yeah, I think it's really important to take that time and, and make sure that we're really at peace. And I have a social media manager who actually creates probably about 20 posts a month. And I have got tons of content and she just pulls from it. And people don't know, they could think I wrote that yesterday. And so, yeah, I would assume whatever you're sharing is like literally that day. Yeah. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's good to remember that although what we may share may be in service to people, it will still be in service to them in a year if we need that year or yeah, three months. Yeah, that's a really, really good reminder. I feel like I need all of this advice. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I still need it. Hey everyone, I'm Darren Karp. And I'm Liz Cully, and we're the hosts of the podcast, Scissoring Isn't a Thing. That's right, Liz. Each week we bring on different guests from the LGBTQ plus community and allies too, of course, to discuss everything from coming out stories to pop culture to even celeb crushes. No topic is off limits. From Bravo Labs to influencers to doctors, Scissoring Isn't a Thing is the heartfelt LGBTQ plus education friendly podcast everyone can feel safe to fall in love with. New episodes drop every Tuesday wherever you stream podcasts. See you then. I hope you don't mind me asking this, but you're so transparent even when you're in a relationship. I saw, I know at one point you went, I don't know what the timing was, but like several months ago, you were in a relationship with somebody and then it didn't end up working out. And you were sharing a lot and being really real about what was working, what didn't, what, and I wondered how do the people that you're in, how you have relationships with feel, is that something that they feel comfortable with you doing or how do you manage that? Totally. Great question. I think that privacy and learning what our partners are comfortable with is huge. And so I I have those conversations pretty early on because I've learned that Mm -hmm. it feels important for me to be able to share my story as part of how I teach. And so if, if someone was like straight up never comfortable, I think I probably just wouldn't share who they were so that I could still write about them. Like I wouldn't share their face or anything, but I have those conversations and what I've, I've learned the hard way because 
when it's just me, there's a liberty to that. But mm-hmm. when I'm writing about, it's often my experience of something in a relationship. So it's still one side, but I've learned the hard way that the person that I need to feel the most safe as an artist is my partner, people that are really close to me. And so that's sacred and privacy is sacred and being able to have conversations. So now if I write something that's, I always check in with a partner and some men are like, I don't care. I don't give a fuck. Do what you do. Like hundred percent permission. Whereas other guys are like, I'm totally uncomfortable. And other ones are in the middle where they're like, can you share the posts with me before they go out. And I have them check in. Like I wrote a piece recently and the guy that I'm seeing now was like, hey, it still feels a little raw, like what we went through. Can you just table that? And so then I give it to my social media Mm. manager and I say, hey, let's post this in in a minute. And so my last relationship that I was in, there was a lot of permission to be really open and transparent. And so, yeah, I shared. Yeah, it came across that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I assume it's not like you're just doing it without <laughs> without asking, but I, I wondered, cause I thought this is, I mean, cause it's not like it always makes the other person look great. It could not, it might, you know, you, and so it's sort of a risk you take, but I relate to that in that when I was filming, um, I filmed a TV show called the Hills. I don't know if you know that, but we filmed our first season when I was still married. And one of the biggest struggles was that I didn't ever feel comfortable with filming because I felt like I was responsible to my husband at the time and felt very restricted because I wanted to always protect him. And, you know, it, it really changed the dynamic. And then once we separated, we're still filming the show together. And each of us has so much more fun because we have that liberty, like you said, where it's just, we're only responsible for ourselves now with filming. And it's just a very different dynamic when you're not having to to think about what managing somebody else or, or protecting them. And, mm-hmm. but, but also you're, you're an artist and I think you probably get inspired a lot by the relationships that you're in. So it's, it's gotta kind of work both ways. It's a total dance. And one of the most important things for me in all of my relationships is that I choose relationships where it's safe to say anything like mm-hmm. transparency and vulnerability and like a safeness to express is something I was raised by two gay moms. And it was like, we talk about everything. Nothing Mm. is not talked about in this house. I was raised in a very open liberal turn that becomes turned up too loud sometimes. And I like can process for seven hours. So I have to like keep my finger (laughs) on the dial of that because I'm like, but I want to talk about every part. And then when I was six and like, so I have to kind of keep my finger on that. Well, I think it can feel confining if that's what you're used to. One of I have been dating someone for seven or eight months now. And one of the things I love so much about our relationship is that even I'll say things sometimes that I'm like, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's what I think or how I feel. And to his credit, he's great. Like he takes everything and just, and handles it so appropriately. He's so sweet. And I think that's allowed me to really feel comfortable in the relationship because I actually feel that I can say anything, even if I think it might be upsetting to him. And he allows me that space, like you said, to, to just be really real and transparent and, and not have to hold anything in. So I don't feel confined. Because I think if you can't do that, it's just, I don't know. I've just developed this need to be able to be 100% myself all the time. Mm -hmm. It's good. And it's it's definitely a dance. I feel that I want to be like radically transparent and fully expressed everywhere. And so there's definitely like a little part of me when it comes to checking in with a partner around like sharing something or timing that like, is like, I don't want to do this. And then I have to be like, well, you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how would you feel if there was someone else who had a hundred thousand people weighing in on something that you were processing and that felt raw? Because I'll write about my yeah. sex life or I'll talk about, you know, like mm-hmm. I write really intimate pieces. And so 
I'm definitely still learning that balance. And I think that if I were to meet someone who is super, like I've had men who like, I went on a date with this guy once. It was our first date. And some woman in Encinitas driving by me was like, I love you. Like out our car door. And this, the guy I was dating was like, what was that? And I was like, uh, I was like, well, I like write. And he was like, how many people read your writing? And I like told him and he, <laughs> and he was like, oh, I wouldn't wish being famous on anyone. And he was like a hundred percent uncomfortable with like, it actually was like a non-negotiable for him. So I think yeah. it's good to have those conversations early as artists with like partners of like, and explaining why, but yeah, it's a, it's a delicate line that I'm still learning. Well, and about. respecting that just because you are the type of person who's willing to share a lot and be really vulnerable and maybe have a different scale for what privacy you require doesn't mean that everybody is like that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of sex life, the post you did, I think it was, I don't know, a couple nights ago about the hip dances. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot. <laughs> I, thought that was like a, I thought it was a really brave thing to post, but also you looked so hot and cool doing it. And I was like, oh, I like that. Uh, I'm like, okay, I need to start moving my hips like that. So where did that come from? Yeah. So I would say I wrote a a really raw poem actually about that. I actually learned about that. That was like probably four years ago. And I always think it's important to take accountability as women for like our part in sex of like maybe not having orgasms and like really spending the time to like know our bodies and masturbate and like be able to connect to our pleasure alone is something that's really important that we bring to sex. And so I think some of the work I didn't do, and I had a lot of partners who were just like selfish and didn't maybe necessarily prioritize my pleasure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole combo there. There's patriarchy. There's a whole, we could get into like a whole tangent, but I, I was like, (laughs) I was having a really hard time having orgasms during sex with men and it was showing up and I was just getting so in my head about it and stressed, you know, I will never come as quick as a dick, just like period. And I think sometimes as women, we yeah. want to come as quick as a dick and like, we just, we need more time. We're like delicate flowers. And so I was seeking out, I think that it's really important to have coaches and therapists. It's interesting that there's like stigma around it because if you're bad at math, you get a math coach and life gets hard. And if your sex life is hard, it's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to hire a coach who like, that's their genius zone that they teach about and know about. And so I hired this guy and we had our first call and he was like, orgasm is surrender. To have an orgasm is to fully surrender and trust. He's like, you're a control freak. And I was like, what? And I, and I was, I had like, for my coaching clients at the time, I had like binders and I would have like, it was so rigid. I would have like every question for a session lined up. I didn't allow any free flow or state because I wasn't trusting myself. Control is just not trust. And so mm-hmm. He was like, I need you to lean into trust. And also we need to like get you in your body. And he was sharing with me that a lot of philosophers are not good lovers because they're so in their head. Whereas athletes are like great lovers because they're so in their bodies. And I've lived a lot in Costa Rica. And I feel like even if you watch how like Latinas move sometimes like in Costa Rica, like they're so in their bodies. Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like in America and Canada, we're so like intellectual focused. There's a lot of heady people I would say we're like more in our heads. It's my theory. And so, yeah, I just got to have this journey of coming into my body and coming into my sexual energy. And I think my feminine energy in a lot of ways. And so one of the ways we did that was 
I had to dance for an hour a day in my hips. And I, I put this in the post, but I was dancing at first mm-hmm. with like my upper body. And he was like, I need you to hip thrust. I was like, I don't even know what a hip thrust is. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it was really uncomfortable to be so uncomfortable in my body. You know, there was a lot mm. of shame around that. There was a lot of shame and guilt, I think, that puts us off from getting more connected to our bodies. Like we go to a dance class and we're like, well, that was awkward. Like, never going again. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, it's like just a beautiful mirror of like, hey, you know, like have you spent the time to be really at home in your body and to know. And so, yeah, it activates all of your chakra down there. Like I think it's, I think it's called your root, root chakra. And like when you're moving, it's like when you're doing Kegels or you're clenching, it's like all of that is your sexual energy and your life force energy. And so it allowed me to flow and it was just a really beautiful practice to get me, I think different things like yoga can, can get you in your body as well, or having a massage. I often find that like after a massage, I'll be super hungry or sometimes after yoga, I'll feel like having sex. And that's because I'm mm-hmm. tuned into my physical body and its needs. And- okay. That's so interesting. Cause I think you sort of feel like you're supposed to just be born knowing everything that you need to know about sex and just do it. But I, I think like you, I'm definitely very in my head. Like I can completely talk myself. It's a like everything for me is in my head. So if I'm really in the moment, then it's like easy and and great. And other times I'm like, there's just no way that this is going to happen. I mean, I feel like I could benefit from everything that you just talked about. So I'm going to be in my bed, my bathroom later. <laughs> doing some hip thrust. Doing my hip some thrust. John Travolta <laughs> hip thrust. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good exercise for everyone because it's easy too and it's fun. Put on some music and what's your favorite song to dance to? So I found this like pole dancing playlist. It was like wanting, one of my therapists was like, you need to play more. Cause I'm, I'm going through, I'm doing EMDR therapy, which is like a trauma therapy. And I'm working with Gay Hendrix and just doing like a lot of growth and personal and my, my business as well right now. And like, she was like, you got to balance this out with some play. And so I think dance can be play. And so I always mm-hmm. listen to like depressing folk music. Like I like one guy and a guitar, but like, I'm like, okay, you need to like spice this up. So like Sean Paul, there's like a lot of like, yeah, like, yeah, like <laughs> way back in the days. So yeah, you need to have good music. So there's a, there's like a pole dancing playlist on Spotify that has a lot of really okay. ones. And uh, I had a lot of fun dancing to temperature by Sean Paul yesterday. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. I haven't had a Sean Paul recommendation in a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a playlist for the, for the podcast. It's called Rose Colored Glasses. And I always add my guests' favorite songs. So that one will be on there. Now. So everyone can <laughs> Sean Paul. Thanks to you. <laughs> uh, that's the song and of the day. Their, their hip thrust. Their hip thrust. Uh, one of the things I talk about at the beginning of each episode are what my bright spots for the week were, what have yours been this week? I had a really beautiful moment with my team last week. I've gone through quite a struggle, like finding the right people in my team. I went through like seven assistants in the last year. And I had this really cool call last week where I just realized that the two women that I'm working with have skill set in really unique ways that I need in a way to support me that is beyond my scope of like circumference and like where I'm thinking and like even going with my business. And it was a really expansive moment. I often feel like I'm the one like driving the ship and leading the ship. And it was really nice to be like, wow, like both of them suggested these beautiful ideas that were so expansive beyond what I could dream. And Mm. I think that that's really what I'm looking for is for somebody to run the operational side of my business and to just artists. And so finding those people and seeing like really unique skill sets show up, that was definitely like a beautiful, like 
Oh, cool. And again, going back to the trust and being able to release control and know that these people are going to be creating something that you feel really good about and you don't have to oversee or micromanage. Totally. It's not always easy to find people like that. Mm -mm. That's great. No, it's a huge, it's definitely a thing. And I also had a DQ chocolate dipped ice cream cone, which I don't even like remember the last time I had Dairy Queen. I drove like 20 minutes to get this ice cream cone. You had a craving. I just like therapy was hard. And I was like, I need a fucking ice cream cone. (laughs) And not any ice cream cone. It was like specific chocolate. My five-year-old was like, I want that chocolate dip cone. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was good. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really nice. My cheat is there's this cinnamon bun restaurant here in LA. It's called Cineholic. And <laughs> they do cinnamon buns with the most ridiculous toppings, but I get a cinnamon bun with cookie dough on top of it. And it is ridiculous. And it, I can't, I mean, I can do it so rarely because it's so much, but uh such a good cheat. I love cookie dough. That's good. I also met this really amazing woman. I'm going to butcher her name, but she's like a, a Buddhist teacher. I was walking on the beach. She's 74. She has like a Tara Mandala retreat center. It's like Lama to Salone. And I forget her last name, but she wrote a book called like Feeding Your Demons. And it's really cool. I find I love happening upon and like having like chance happenings of meetings with people just like walking my dog in Encinitas that end up to be like really beautiful teachers. And so I feel like there's definitely like with a Yogananda, have you been down here before? I, I have, but not, not really. I haven't spent yeah, much time there. have to come down when the world opens. There's um, Yeah, that would be so much fun. Beautiful meditation centers. The guy that wrote autobiography of a yogi, Yogananda has like this whole center and there's like cool spiritual energy here. So yeah, I met this really beautiful wow. Buddhist teacher last week, which was nice on a walk. And that was probably a a bright spot as well. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of, okay. So, well, first of all, I like, I want to know who really inspires you. It could be current or just in your life in general. Mm -hmm. And also if there's anybody you think everybody should be following on Instagram. I love some of the matriarchs of our world. And that I feel are so important are like uh, Louise Hayes work. So you know her work, you can heal your life. She's a book about Oh, yes. Mm. I have that book in the other room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been like a that's a really good one, like a body Bible for me for a long time. And I really love Abraham Hicks work as well. I really think that she's got some good stuff, some spiritual stuff, but some good stuff. And I really love, do you follow Mark Groves, one of my friends? Yes. I was actually going to ask you because I see you guys post about each other a lot and I didn't know if you know each other personally because he's great. I love him. Yeah, you should. Everything he put, I mean, I think, I feel like I have to stop liking his post because it's too much, but <laughs> I like everything, everything he said. He's a, I mean, yeah, he's great. Yes, we, I would agree. Uh, yeah, you should have him on for sure. He's, yeah, he's a good friend. We actually, that's such a good idea. And I don't know how we haven't thought of that. Totally. That's a great idea. Yeah, he's, you'll laugh your ass off. He's really funny. We, we met probably nine years ago. He was like a sales rep for a pharmaceutical company and I was a bartender. And and so we've like had been able to kind of see each other's journeys totally transform. And I love Mark because he's sharp. He's clear. He's super funny and he's really intelligent. And so I think as far as sharp, clear, like no bullshit advice. Yes. No bullshit. Mark. Yeah. Right. He's not really tiptoeing around your feelings. He's very straightforward. Mm -hmm. That would be my, I wonder if he ever thought he'd be doing when he was a sales rep, if you ever thought he'd be doing what he's doing now, because it's such an interesting change in career. Totally. I mean, I can't imagine that someone would be happy being a sales rep for a pharmaceutical company, but that's just me. I want to speak to the whole world, but I think it's it's also 
seeing where he is and what's inside of him, there likely was a stirring of like wanting more and wanting different. Well, clearly what he's doing now is what he was meant to do because he's very good at it. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's one thing I've really found lately is like I was telling you earlier, I wrote a show with a a comedy writer through my agency over quarantine. And and we've been pitching it to sell the last couple of weeks. And I never in a million years would have thought that I would write a TV show. It's never even crossed my mind that that was something I would want to do. And it's been probably my favorite project I've ever done. So you just never know where you're going to end up. Totally. That's so, that's so fun. It's funny how we get worried. Like we won't have things in the future or, you know, you finish a big project and you're like, will there ever be anything? Because I feel like the best things are always coming, you know, and we don't know about them. That's very true. You feel like if you don't, if you can't see what lies ahead, like there's nothing there, (laughs) but it's just not true. Something always comes along. And I feel like when I've not planned for things is when the best things happen. Mm -hmm. Before I let you go, I want to know if there's anybody in your life who's either really been there for you lately or who's going through something challenging or difficult right now, who you would want everybody to send positive thoughts and energy to who's listening today. Gosh, I feel like our, all of the U.S. needs positive energy and thoughts. <laughs> can, I choose a country? Mm-hmm. can I choose a country? Yeah, it can be anything. Yeah, I feel like the U.S. is definitely moving through some stuff right now. I'm super, super grateful for a friend of mine who we started this 6 a.m. club a couple of months ago, just because I feel like it's so easy to get out of our routine and our rhythm and our self-care. And so we met every day at six in the morning at this beach called Beacons with coffees and our dogs and would walk in the sunrise and like have breakfast together by the chimney. And then we either like surf or do yoga or do breath work. And I feel it is such an important time to remember to take care of ourselves. I think we're probably going to be in what we're in for a bit longer. And it's really beautiful to have that like accountability space and think that I would love for people, if I wasn't anybody love, it would be anybody who's really struggling to like self-care and and regulate themselves. And Mm. as a reminder, how important that is. Like for me, I don't know if you know about about Ayurvedic science at all, but waking up before 6 a.m. and going to bed before 10 is like the most ideal time for humans to be awake with their light and their bodies. And to have, if you're a mom and you've got four kids, you get up at 5 a.m., like your kid's fucking sleeping, hopefully. Right. <laughs> and so like, it's such a nice time to claim that space and that silence and that quiet and that peace in a world that isn't really feeling peaceful. And so I think probably reminding people that it's really important to take that time and to create that space for self-care when the world is a snow globe to have our legs. And then if anyone is struggling to do that alone, just choosing an accountability buddy because having Darcy at the beach at six in the morning, it's like you get out of bed and you go. It's like having a workout. It's like having exactly accountability buddy because I'm like that with working out. If I don't have somebody that I'm meeting to work out, I just won't do it. So yeah, that's more good advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just sending love to anyone struggling to take care of themselves in this time. I think individually and then as a collective, there's a lot moving and I think everyone's doing their best, but just just sending them love and sending the U.S. love while they continue to like navigate and go through, Mm. I think, what is an important and challenging part of the process and evolution that's been needed for a really long time. I agree. Well, thank you for that. That's great. Where can our listeners find you? 
my Instagram is there. That's probably like the most active. I think things get shared to Facebook by my social media manager as well, but I'm kind of over Facebook and <laughs> I'm like the dinosaur. I'm also <laughs> refused to go on TikTok or any of the other apps. So I'm like, uh-uh. But I, yeah, my website, I have an email list that I send kind of my little inner community and that's the best way to be connected about new things coming out as well. Okay, so it's Yana Robertson and I'm Robinson and Yana is J-A-N-N-E. Mm-hmm and Robinson. Mm-hmm. So that's where they find mm-hmm. Great. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah. It was so much fun talking to you today. I actually feel like we could talk for another hour, but I don't want to keep you for too long, but we really should. Let's connect um, in real love- life whenever, when we can. That I, would be so much fun. I would love to. Yeah. I'll let you know if I come up to LA and vice versa. If you yeah, come, do. come south, would love it. I love all the things you're doing with horses as well. And your heart is thank lots you. of compassion and empathy. And yeah. So would thank love- you. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. The Bright Side is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. Our theme music is by Maddie Noise. You can follow me on Instagram at, at Caitlin, K A I T L Y N N, or email the show at the bright side with KC at gmail.com. Have a happy day. Oh, I never wanna leave.